Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Are you in fashion? fashion? Fashion. Did you see what she's wearing for Tom's shoes? I'm Sonia Sly. My heels are killing me. Um, but I was told I have a backstage pass. You will need to get the right pass to get behind me, Pam. Look, I need to go. Code red, code red, code we have a situation. I'm taking you inside the fashion industry to discuss trends, the reality behind the glamour, and the highs and lows of a fast-paced industry that never stops. Jonathan Tai is a mover and shaker. He's worked with some of the biggest names in the industry, including Stephen Meisel and designers like Helmut Lang, the Kuhn and Proenza Scola. He's a talented multitasker who's not only produced New York Fashion Week shows, but has also styled celebrities and editorial shoots for US, British, French and German Vogue. Now, after eight years, this Kiwi has returned from the creative chaos of the Big Apple. He says it was the pull of family that brought him back, along with the unavoidable elephant in the room. When Mexico sends its people, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing... There's a lot of uh, touchy things to digest. Jonathan Tai. When someone that defies a lot of what America stands for, you feel everyone kind of just, like, start shaking their heads, being like, well, what's going to happen eventually? And I remember the day Trump was elected as president, I went back to the office the next day and... Half the office were just, you know, so upset. Two of our employees actually cried for most of the morning because it's just a, it's going to be a four-year period where you just don't know how you can really voice what you think is wrong with how they're going to change the country, essentially. I mean, how do you think it's going to affect the fashion industry? I mean, it kind of already has in a way. Um, I feel like fashion is a very artistic and creative expression, we should, as artists and people that really admire the creative industry and fashion especially, we should exercise our right to voice our opinions. And I feel like the people that are progressive and quite liberal in that sense, they really do want to voice that. And I was looking at coverage at New York Fashion Week and there were so many designers that were resisting President Trump. And it was just a nice way for them to feel like they don't want to hide behind something where they want to just create a business and make money, they have a voice and they're exercising that right, which I give more power to them because it's about creating awareness for people. Fashion is about being commercial, but yet, you know, there's someone that is creating a state of tension within what it actually means to be a both a creative and a commercial entity. Yeah, definitely. In a nutshell, I feel like that's what fashion is kind of representing. There are two sides to it. It's the commercialism and also creating a business and making a successful business financially as well. Or to be an artist in a creative sense that using fabric and fashion design as your medium, that's where kind of 
people's voices have kind of blurred. And it is quite interesting just to see who is in opposition and who is just not saying anything at all. And I think that says a lot as well about the industry too. I'm just waiting for more of the fashion community to be able to step up. But, you know, at the same time, they also do rely on the consumerism of buying their designs. And especially with the whole immigration thing, you know, half the industry in America is immigrants. So then coming, arriving back in New Zealand to calmer waters, do you see that there's going to be any kind of trickle-down effect? What are you seeing happening here that you kind of want to embrace? You know, you come back to New Zealand and sure, we are a smaller country that is fairly remote compared to the rest of the world, but we're such a beautiful country and our people are so friendly and hardworking and that's where we kind of need to grasp that whole New Zealand down-to-earth attitude. Again, with our seasons being kind of off the calendar a bit in, in conjunction to the rest of the Northern Hemisphere and stuff like that, you know, we've already kind of had to do that and I feel like now's the time to almost even amp it up even more because, again, New Zealand's a very desirable country, you know. There's so many people that are just, like, dying to come here and so I feel like it's a really cool, awesome position that New Zealand has creatively as well because we're more than willing to have them contribute and collaborate with us and vice versa, you know. And that's actually really exciting to hear. I mean, because, you know, being in the arse <laughs> end of the world. <laughs> Sorry, New Zealand, you know. No, exactly. Like... We are a smaller country, but we still have so much more to offer that they probably don't even realise. And I feel like people are noticing that more and more as they come here. So you're working with larger scales, bigger budgets there, and you come to New Zealand and everybody's kind of on a shoestring and kind of relying on collaborations. The community is quite small, Yes, so yeah. what, um, what are the downsides then of coming back here? I feel like it's about the execution before people should start talking about budgets and I feel like it's about finding that brand identity of who that company or that label or find out what you're trying to send the message of for that season or that collection. Make something of that sense that fits within your budget but is still being able to have that uh, consumer interaction and brand immersive experience a lot of technology these days and even like fashion week formats you know the whole fashion month and people not showing at the right times you know if you go back to Demna at Balenciaga and Alessandra at Gucci you know they're doing like men's and women's together and also off the calendar and doing it at different locations not just always in Paris they're also doing stuff in LA even though those budgets are pretty impressive I feel like it's about kind of taking that concept to be like you know what we should do something that's not quite the typical fashion week show and I feel like that's kind of the the angle that people should kind of start strategizing towards in the right way. I mean even in New Zealand you know probably to a smaller scale you're starting to see sort of installations during fashion week and people taking a different creative approach to Mm. the production of these shows. Over in New York what kind of breakthrough shows were you seeing or what were the trends that were sort of happening Because obviously the scales can be quite grand. When you spend money, sometimes you don't see how much money you've spent in a lot of those things. But (laughs) I find technology is one of the fastest moving things in terms of like being able to do something different. In terms of like film aspect and projection aspect and lighting aspect and encompassing that whole industry that, you know, fashion people don't necessarily gravitate towards all the time. I feel like that's kind of being roped into a lot of it with um, out having to do a typical runway show. Like uh, one of uh, my company's um, older clients, she did a video installation instead. So she had a whole room that was completely blackout, but she had different 
screens and podiums around the space where there was models and they were actually moving with the clothes. You could see the movement of the clothes, but it wasn't for only five seconds. Now, a while back, there was some controversy over audience goers at Fashion Week shows being so engrossed in capturing and sharing runway photos via social media that they became removed from the live experience. It seems almost pointless, right? But as opposed to seeing it as problematic, Jonathan says designers today work with it rather than against it. I feel like it's not necessarily something that they uh, want to oppose or punish. Getting their brand out there is to have those people to participate and they're going to participate how they want to. And I feel like they've considered that in a way that they're just like, you know what, why don't we give them what they want? So they give them a fashion show that's Instagrammable or Snapchatable where it's this incredible opulent set or, you know, you have this really cool lighting infrastructure or I feel like people actually really do consider all of those elements. And back to being producing shows, you know, um, Sometimes people want to walk into a room that's completely fogged out and they can't breathe, but that's kind of like the whole message of the fashion show at that point being like, let's stop and take a minute to breathe, you know, or about having a light in the waiting room and having it make you feel so sick because it's so concentrated, but that's kind of the reaction you want. You want that that provocative sense where someone has to think about where they've gone because, again, they're putting their heart and soul, these designers, into this collection, so you got to pay respects to them, and if it's via Instagram post and it's hashtagged and you get 500 likes to drum up this press, or if it's about someone emotionally reacting, I feel like I've done my job in a sense and that's what the designer is kind of wanting to get. Sort of interesting that you talk about an emotional experience. I think as it feels like digital technology drives us away from that in mm. a sense there's also that kind of push-pull of you know we can't forget that we are still human we're not robots yes. and there needs to be that emotional connection it's, it's where creative expression comes from. Yeah definitely and I feel like that's where the emotional response of what a designer gives into a collection and how people react. Obviously, the audience is a much wider audience, so any type of reaction, I feel like, is accomplished by just doing a collection that's really beautiful or just resonates with someone even. And then, if again, like if they want to express it in the way that they get 500 likes on Instagram and they're emotionally satisfied with that, then, you know, good for them. Producing... You know, New York Fashion Week shows. Like, who have been some of the most, some of the designers that you've enjoyed working with the most? The favourites that I've worked on, um, opening ceremony, they're doing something really cool within the industry and also their format of how they can present their collection. So opening ceremony is a store that opened in 2002 in downtown New York and Soho, and it's headed by um, Umberto Leon and Carol Lim, who are also now creative directors of Kenzo via opening ceremony. Um, the first show we did with them was actually really cool concept. They wanted to create a performance. What was and, the um, theme? Well, the whole set design and inspiration came from Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect. They found these um, blueprints and architectural drawings of this um, city that he didn't realize before his, he died. So um, they kind of took that inspiration of having a free world and an open world and we actually had a long-standing collaboration with Justin Peck, who is the resident choreographer of New York City Ballet. There were talks pretty early on when we were um, kind of doing the whole like creative inspiration with them um, to work in New York City Ballet dancers within the cast of models who were actually going to model the collection. What happened was we had seven dancers confirmed and they were sprinkled out throughout the collection. And um, there were about six different points within the runway path where all the dancers tripped up 
And obviously, as a spectator, you're just looking at being like, oh, my God, this model's <laughs> falling over. Like, help her up. Oh, my God, this poor thing. But it happened at six points throughout the runway. So every time it happened, people were kind of reacting, like, in different ways, which I thought was kind of like a different play on the whole format. So it's all intentional. Yes, it was all intentional, which I love. And going back to the show footage and watching people's reactions was just really funny because it's such a shock and people don't know how to respond when a model falls over on the runway. You know, you don't want to ruin the show. You don't want to, like, disrespect the designer. And then, like, people write about it at the end. It's just like, uh. But the cool thing is that it was totally intentional. And as they progressed further on down the runway, like, their falls got more opulent and they started choreographing more pieces and stuff like that. It was just a really cool concept. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. So you, you've also styled um, for international publications like all the international Vogue magazines and others. What kind of pressure are you under when you're working on these editorial shoots for the most high-profile magazines in the world? Uh, I feel like it's just about understanding aesthetics and working with your own style, working with the photographer and the editors to conceptualise something that fits in because obviously there are different types of publications. I mean... No Vogue is exactly the same. You know, you have your British Vogue, you have your Italian Vogue, and then you have your US Vogue. And if you really put them side by side, obviously the countries and aesthetics are different, but they really are different, you know, publications in a sense. So you really have to be able to understand what they're trying to get out of you and what you're trying to give them at the same time. And it's not even about fresh or trendy or anything. It's about creating a story that translate with what fashion is available and what they're trying to sell at that time and that's where a lot of like advertisers come into play where you really want to be able to work with this um, but you can't and you have to work with this but it's also about expanding your mind creatively because you're given references and you're given like certain stories or sometimes you're given nothing and you're actually like meant to you know create the whole layout for them so in that sense I feel like it's more about understanding who they are and how you can make this work for them. And it's the same with um, dressing celebrities, which you've done, haven't you? Style yeah, I've worked on a couple of um, red carpet uh, events, and one of my favourites, surprisingly, you know, I always <laughs> thought I wanted to be creative in a sense that, yeah, I want to make this campaign image look so amazing and strong and, and like, really memorable. But I also like working with people because people think differently, they feel differently when they wear different things, and fashion, using that as a creative and expressive outlet for yourself and your personality, I think is a really awesome way. It's not about how do you want to look and do you want to be trendy? Do you want to like get all the paparazzi going crazy of you? Or do you want to be someone that's taken seriously? Or understanding that person and how they want to come across and then you kind of go back to the drawing board to be like well her body shape is this but she wants to execute this so you kind of work around their whole persona almost. So you've dressed um, Winona Ryder as well what was she like to work with how would you describe her? She was a little inquisitive and curious and a little eccentric when a celebrity responds with a curiosity I love to be able to educate them as to why I picked this and why I think it's best for them. She's a sweetheart, you know, she's a small little thing and just her eyes are so memorable. She just, I remember her constantly looking up at me being like, oh my God, I love this. And you just see those Winona eyes that are like a little, like, like those chocolatey brown eyes. You're just like, my God, you're so weird. And I love that (laughs) because, you know, she has had like, you know, an up and down career and personal life and 
she has always been a representation of the offbeat, especially in the 90s. You know, she's never been that cookie-cutter person, and that's what I kind of, like, wanted to give her at the same time because she has such a love for the not atypical or she and, was just so funny. And there is a lot of pressure on celebrities when they're dress, being dressed for award ceremonies because yeah. it's also about, well, what is their status within the industry? Yeah, and, and how do, do you mark to dress that? them? Yeah. Exactly. How many gowns were, like, thrown her way? And that makes a difference, doesn't it? Definitely, it does. Mm. And having that type of weight to be able to pull certain brands, to be able to give her an option at least, it gets easy and it gets hard. And it's just about how you approach a situation again. You know, I, I could approach, you know, a newer brand for her to, but she also might be like, well, I don't, I don't know this brand, so I don't necessarily want to promote them either. Now, just very quickly, like you started out as a professional dancer and that's what took you to New York. Yes. And then you turned your career around after an accident. So, I mean, was it easy to break into the New York fashion industry? I guess a lot of it is down to chance and luck, to be honest. And weirdly, New York is a very um, encouraging city, even though it doesn't come across as that type of vibe because there's a lot happening, everyone's walking really fast and are keeping into themselves. Most people are quite encouraging and welcoming if you want to reach out. So I was working at this uh, restaurant at the time and had a lot of friends in the New York City area that were creatives and worked in the industry. And I was still dancing at that time. I was, you know, auditioning four times a day and like going to class, going to acting class, going to singing class and doing all that. And when I hurt my knee at an audition, um, a Jenna Jackson audition, I should say, um, (laughs) um, I hurt my knee in the process. And for three months, I was kind of just twiddling my thumbs being like, I need to do something creatively. I'm kind of losing my mind. So I started reaching out to people being like, I will do anything and everything. And then I just interned um, as a production assistant for a fashion film and just kind of went from there, you know? Like, sometimes when you're interns, people want to be like, well, why do you want to get into the industry and where do you want to go? Because it's just about creating that rapport with that person because you come across these people all the time. When you're at that level, you meet people all all the time on set and the same people. So... You know, I still get text messages these days being like, hey, Jonathan, I got your number from so-and-so. Are you free to work? And I'm just like, well, no, (laughs) not right now. But it's about that. When you create a really good personality and reputation in the industry, people constantly want to work with you because you're reliable, you're accountable, you work hard. The bottom line, you're friendly and understand how to conduct yourself on set because there are prickly personalities around, you know. I bet there are lots of them. Yeah. And it's again, it's about like that whole like understanding the situation as to when to approach someone and when to not and when you should be pulling out your Snapchat and when you shouldn't be. (laughs) The facade of fashion that, you know, it can be kind of cutthroat or it's really superficial. But at the end of the day, people want to know that you're human and that you're going to be great to work with, right? Yeah. It's not about being too cool, but it's also about being like, I am creative. I can do this job. I can execute this in a really good way, but it's not who I am and I'm not saving lives. And I feel like that's really where a lot of people start wanting to work with them because they have that creative execution where they have these great ideas or they're someone that you know they're going to do a good job and you get asked back time and time again. And everyone always has a voice and not everyone always 
can work together, but at the same time, you can't tell someone that they're not good just because you don't like working with them. Sometimes they're incredible and you still don't want to work with them. (laughs) (laughs) And just lastly, does it feel like a massive deal that you've got this backlog of celebrities and you've worked on all of these international publications and big brands? I mean, does it feel like a big deal for you as like this, you know... Guy from New Zealand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely when I was living in New York, especially when I first got there on my own, not knowing anyone basically besides a family friend of mine, um, and then coming across after eight years being like, damn, I've done all this cool work. I think it's not necessarily like satisfying my ego, but it's more about I did this and this is a testament to who I am and how hard I work and how much I care about a lot of the whole industry as well. Sure, you can say I've done Italian Vogue with Stephen Mizell or I've done a Pirelli calendar or I've worked with Craig McDean on a Calvin Klein shoot. Those are all really cool things to have on your resume, but at the same time, I just felt so appreciated and really thankful that I was there because you could have picked anyone, but you managed to pick me and there was a reason for that. So that's what I can be proud of, especially as a Kiwi as well. That was fashion multitasker Jonathan Tai, who's now back in New Zealand. You've been listening to My Heels Are Killing Me. I'm Sonia Sly. To find out more or to listen again, head to our podcast page on the rnz.co.nz website. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.